Welcome to Communion House Podcast with Pastor Moses Anderson, a ministry raised by God for the rebirth of the early church, with a strong commitment to seeing others rise and shine as in those days. Get ready for this timely teaching and encouraging word. And they said, Jesus is coming soon. And everybody erupted just like y'all did. But I can tell you for a fact that the reason why they were excited is not the same reason why you are excited. They were excited because of the fact that they were just enjoying being believers so much so that they just can't get enough of being together. That they wanted to go to heaven so they can always all be together. Because when you ask anyone at the time why they're so excited that Jesus is coming back, they would say, are you kidding me? To be with the Lord Jesus and to be with y'all, to have this fellowship forevermore. In fact, I remember we used to sing a song back in the day that says, There is another fellowship in heaven. There is another fellowship in heaven. And we used to sing about the fact that that was one fellowship that never had to end because we had to go to work. You know, the obsession was more about just continually being in fellowship with one another. And there's nothing wrong with that. But it's just that we have now come to know too much to settle for just that. We're excited today and we should be excited today not with the same escapist mindset from the world. But in fact, we are excited because we know that for a change, the world will experience the reason why God created it. The Bible says that the earnest expectation of creation eagerly waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. And so essentially, since Adam fell, the fish in the sea have not truly experienced the joy of being in the sea. I mean, forget about, uh, what's his name again? Uh, this little guy in Under the Sea. No, 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 Nemo is not a very happy guy. I mean, when you're talking about someone that is happy, we're talking about a guy that sang all the time. Founder. Oh yeah, the seaweed is always greener in somebody else's lake. That was Sebastian. Oh yeah, yeah. You nearly confused my theology. That was Sebastian. Oh yeah, I know found that. They taste good. Um, but let me tell you something. That is not even, that is nothing compared to what God intended for all of creation to experience. And the thing is, it's very clear that God He's always going to live in heaven. Even after this old heaven is gone and another one comes, he's still going to be in heaven. Thankfully, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be with us in the new Jerusalem. But one thing that is very apparent is whatever it is that looks like the earth or that is called the earth, whether it is the old, the new, or the intermediary, we will be the ones having dominion over it. And I tell you what, the joy is essentially to now have this world to ourselves and the Lord Jesus Christ for a whole thousand years. And I know to some of you all it's strange because you've never really heard many people talk about it. I myself, I haven't spoken about it as much as I would love to. 
but with the time that we have left, I want to talk about it a great deal because the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit has been drawing my attention to a couple of things and I know that I am not alone. I've had other people call me over the phone and share dreams with me. I've had other people send me, you know, links to other people's visions and revelations and insights into what is coming and more importantly, who is coming and more importantly, why he is coming. And so we're very close. We literally are on the precipice of having the transition from the new to the old. And what does that mean? It means a couple of things. I've been telling us little by little about some of the things to expect. You know, I've talked about the fact that as we're getting closer and closer to making that final transition, we will see and experience the ministry of the beast that is coming from the abyss that has the mission and the empowerment to shut down the witnesses. And I know there are still people online and there are still people who, have, who are writing books and doing podcasts that the two witnesses are Moses and Elijah. Um, and, I, and I know that we used to think that too until we asked ourselves, why did we think that? Not because the Bible said that. Many of us thought that because our Sunday school teachers told us. And the reason why they told us was because Satan told them to tell us. So that we always think about everything in the book of Revelation as though it was fantasy and we had no part to play in it. And movies were made that were very close in resemblance to the prophecies of Revelations. Such that you can't tell the difference between the truth and fiction. All of what the devil was doing, like I was saying on Sunday, was to convince us that we're not an army, that we're just a bunch of people that were made to be entertained and it was okay for us to just live, be amused and die. But now that we're waking up to the responsibility that we have as soldiers, there is yet another dimension to our responsibility. And that is that as the world is coming close to an end, there are certain things that we need to anticipate as partners with God. Okay, we are soldiers. We are God's battle axis. God is going to deal a blow on the enemy using us to make it happen that was why he gave us the power to we, we literally hold the remote control to the power of god to inflict the earth and the system of this world with plagues but many of us are still busy looking for netflix and youtube and that remote control and that is the reason why nothing is happening yet well some things are happening because of the fact that they're not ours to do okay you know that there are so many parties there are four principal parties that are in operation when it comes to the end of the ages, right? And the four principal parties exist on two different sides. So on this side, you've got four participants, and they are the four kings of the earth. And you've always seen the four kings of the earth. They've always been around. They always take up different names. They take up different identities, but they are essentially the same people. In the book of Acts, they're called Herod, Pontius Pilate, um, the, the, the Zionists, as well as, yes, I said it. I said the word Zionist. I know many people are too afraid to say that, but I said it because Jesus said that in the last days, many will come in my name and they will claim to be Jews who are not Jews, but they are of the synagogue of Satan. Because let me tell you something. We cannot say that we are one when we truly aren't one. You understand what I mean? Because anyone who denies the sonship of the Lord Jesus Christ, the apostles say is of the spirit of the Antichrist. 
You see what I mean? And there are certain people, Jesus gave us a warning. I mean, there are Jews who have not yet accepted the sonship of the Lord Jesus Christ, I understand. But there are some people who by bloodline are not even Jews, but they are claiming to be Jews, whereas they were assigned from the synagogue of Satan. Not my words, the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. And how do we know them? We know them because their hand is always against their brother. Okay? Let me tell you something. It is very easy. It's one of the easiest tricks for Satan to have pulled off. It's not even one of his best tricks. And I'll tell you why. You see, when Adam, not Adam, when Abraham went into Haggai and they had a son called Ishmael. Ishmael grew up in the house of Abraham and there was no question that he was Abraham's son. Right? And so whatever Ishmael looked like would not have been too different to what Isaac looked like. Because they were half brothers. But when Sarah was not having any of what was going on with Haggai becoming really pompous and all what not. Even if she wasn't pompous, it's just the, no woman wants to have a rival. Okay, yeah. I mean... Hardly would you see any woman who is just so excited that her husband has another girl. Like, oh, my husband has this side chick. She's so cute. Oh, my God. <laughs> if you find such a woman, she's not a real woman. She's a droid. <laughs> find where her batteries are, just disconnected and just put her away. She's not a real human being. Any woman that is running flesh and blood, women are completely allergic to rivalry. You see what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I haven't seen it before. Not, even in movies, because if you made a movie about it, no one's going to watch it because it's so disconnected from reality to find somebody who is saying, you know what, sweetheart, I mean, lately I notice you have more energy than I can handle. I'll find you another girl. How is that? It doesn't happen. And so even though a guy, a guy may have been on her best behavior. I remember there was a meme, or not a meme, a, a, a little short film that I saw in, on social media the other day. The guy was so stupid to actually accept a birthday gift from his wife in the form of another woman just to give him a treat. He says, I've always noticed you've been looking out, so I want to bring out to in. And the guy was like, man, you're the best wife in the world. Yeah, he fell for it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Instead of him to have been pleading the blood of Jesus and say, Satan, the Lord rebuke you. Where did that come from? Because in reality, no woman in her right mind would do that. And so it's not a function of whether Haggai was being well-behaved or not. It was just the fact that Sarah, Sarah, by then she had become Sarah, right? No longer Sarai. So Sarah said, I'm not having this anymore. Take, send the woman away and the boy. And Abraham was like, I'm not sure I want to do that. But you're not the final authority. At least so he thought. Then he went to God. And he said to God, look at the woman. My wife Sarah is asking me to throw away the boy and the mom. I think Abraham was expecting God to say, well, you know, every good gift and every perfect gift comes from me. And so this one stays. And God said to Abraham, and so why are you coming to me? And he was like, I thought you'd have something to say. He was like, look, if the woman says it, that's exactly what you and I are doing. We will do what she says. You know, one of the things that I've learned from that story that I want to say on the behalf of the men in this room, if your wife is praying for you, you are being prayed for. Don't let your wife pray against you. You see what happened in the life of Abraham? The apostles learned from it and they said that any man whose wife is not happy with him, his prayers will not be answered. 
right the bible says if your wife right is dishonored by you and she is not happy with you your prayers will not be answered and this is the logic behind what they were saying the fact that when abraham went to god no matter what it was that he said at that particular moment god was not listening because god does not want trouble no 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 god doesn't want the woman trouble he doesn't and that was why he said look whatever she says to you please let's just go ahead and do it because you don't want that trouble neither do i and so if he had gone if he had gone to pray for ishmael to remain at the in the house which was kind of what he was alluding to his prayer would not have been answered because his wife had said another prayer and so i hope men are listening and the ones that will watch later you might be single but whenever you get married, just make sure that you're doing everything possible to assure that your wife is praying for you because God has a special place in his heart for whatever his daughters say. He loves you quite all right, but he's not going to love you at the expense of his girls. He makes that very clear again and again and again. You understand what I mean? If you don't understand that, I want to give you an assignment. If you still don't have that registering, I want you to go and study what happened at the time Jesus healed the woman with the issue of blood. Jesus was on his way to heal Jairus' daughter. And God was sending a message to humanity about what he does and how seriously he takes the issues of his daughters. You see what I'm saying? There's a very deep revelation there, but it's not the message for today. But if you go and study it, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you what is God saying here. Why are the two stories tied together? The daughter of Jairus and the woman with the issue of blood. Anyway, back to what I was saying. Abraham sent the boy Ishmael away. And after he sent Ishmael away, as he was sending Ishmael away, God shows up. And what did God say? God says, well... This is my contribution to what's going on. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen in the future because you may never see this boy again. Now, I've never really heard many people. In fact, I can't tell you if I remember if anyone has said it specifically like that because until the Holy Spirit broke it to me like that, I felt for a long time that God cursed the boy. Because you know, he said, that he would have riches in blessing. He will be blessed. But then the Lord says his hand shall be against that of his brother. Many of us thought growing up that God cursed him with violence and aggressiveness. No, but God did not curse him. God was just telling what will become of him. He saw the land that he was going into. He knew the blood that was flowing in his veins. He knew that the boy was recipe for success. For what? For prosperity. For multiplication. For fruitfulness. For riches because of the blessing that was on the life of Abraham before Abraham had Ishmael. Because when Abraham had Ishmael, the blessing of God was already resting upon Abraham. And someone is like, but why would God even arrange all of those things? God orchestrated all of those things because in the end, God will need a team that would work both angles. And so he set a seed into motion. None of that was an accident at all. 
All of that, which we have been told that, oh, if only they had waited a little bit. Even if they wanted to wait, there was a particular thought in the mind of God. And you know that it is God that is at work in us, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Let me tell you something, dead or alive, we do the will of God, whether we like it or we don't. Famous example is Adam. The Bible says, in the day that you eat the fruit, you shall die. But he ate the fruit before he had a child. And so if he had physically died that moment, then he would not have been fruitful and he wouldn't have multiplied. Then the original plan of God would have been defeated. And so guess what happened? He stayed breathing until he was able to produce after his own kind. But still, he did not see the end of that day. Because God did not say the moment that you eat it. He says, in the day that you eat the fruit, you shall die. And he died that same day because a day is like a thousand years before the Lord. And that was why none of those boys made it beyond 960 something years old. Because if they had made it to a thousand years of age, then God would have been turned into a liar. And he's not a man that he should lie. And so this is the deal. Whether you disobey God or not, what God wants to do with you, he will still do with you. He will have his way with you whether you like it or not. Simply because God has written the equation of existence such a way that the equation is always balanced. And so regardless of what part you want to play, God has a force that is countermeasuring whatever it is that you're doing. And so God already had it in his design. And I want to say all these things because over the weekend, the Holy Spirit said to me, he showed me a series of things and he showed me some of you. And he was addressing issues to me that were thoughts in the hearts of several people here, mostly women. And I think it was because I was at How Conference. But most of the people that I saw that, and at the end of the day, I, the summary of what the Holy Spirit was saying to us was, don't worry, be happy. Because he identified the things that each and every one of us was worried about. And he was breaking them down to me. He says, these people are worried about this particular angel. They don't know it is the angel, but they see the work of that angel and it scares them. He says, but look, we set into motion. And so if you truly know what is really going on, you will not worry. Let me say that backwards. The only way not to worry in the times that we're in is for you to know what is going on and who is running the show and how long he has been running the show for. Because I know some of you may have been a bit terrified when I said that the system of this world was initiated in Genesis chapter 10. And you must be thinking, oh my God, let me do the math. Genesis chapter 10. That was like 6,000 years ago. But the church was initiated only 2,000 years ago. Oh my God, we're doomed. They're older than us. They're smarter than us. No, I don't want you to think that way. You see, because at the end of the day, what happened in Genesis chapter 10 happened long after the inception of the church. God started the church or at least announced the church as soon as Adam and Eve sinned. He said the seed of the woman shall bruise the head of the serpent. Right? And we are the body of the seed of the woman because he said to us that we are the ones that will make contact with the head of snakes and scorpions. Alrighty. So I don't want you to think that because of the fact that they've been around for so long that they've been planning and plotting. If you know what God has been planning and plotting to do through you. The reason why some of us are afraid is because our ears haven't heard it. Our eyes haven't seen it. Neither has it entered into our hearts what God has always intended to do. But I am here to let you know that we have come to such a time wherein the scripts have been read out. 
so that we can go into action. We're no longer going to move on from this moment onwards, being ignorant of the counsel of God concerning the soldiers that we are, concerning the partners of God that we are, concerning the divine agents and catalysts that we are for the bringing in or reeling in of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're no longer going to be ignorant of those things because how long are we going to be ignorant? The Bible said to the ones who wrote 1,200 years ago, not even 1,200, 2,200 years ago, that 2,600 years ago, 3,100 years ago, every one of these boys that came at those intervals and wrote, there were times when they wrote things that they did not understand and the angel of the Lord was like, yeah, just seal it up because there's no point trying to help you to understand. It's not for you. And you're not even going to find it amusing if you understood it anyway. And so he asked them to seal it up for the generation that will come in the end. And so we are the generation that will come in the end. And so now we need to know. Because the Bible says it is to us that it has been given to know the hidden treasures of secret places. Even the divine mysteries of the counsel of God. It has been given to us. And that is the reason why we need to break this thing down and know exactly where we're at. What is going on? I was telling you about the four kings. I will still tell you about the four kings. But I want to quickly tell you about one of those kings in particular. I think I started already. The Zionists. The Bible calls them the children of Israel. So when people read the book of Acts chapter 4 and they see mention made to Pontius Pilate and mention made to Herod and then you mention the children of Israel, they're like, oh, God didn't really mean the children of Israel because we know we can't touch them. You can't say anything about them. You know, whoever curses them is cursed and blah, blah, blah. And so people have been very timid. But in reality, it's not the generality of the children of Israel that the Lord was referring to. He was referring to the ones that he had warned them off ahead of time who are, who are of the synagogue of Satan. And how do you know them? They're always crying for blood. They are warmongers. They're always asking for blood and they're always looking to join forces together so that everybody's money becomes theirs. You see what I mean? And we know who they are today. They're always asking for war and they're always asking for everybody's money to become theirs. Now, those are the ones that Jesus is talking about because the synagogue of Satan is a synagogue that is without prayer, but with what? Buying and selling. All right, And so, the way you know the synagogue of Satan is they're all about money. They're all about mammon. They're all about buying and selling. And they're all about control. They're all about intimidation. They're not the helpers of anybody's joy. Now, those are the ones that Jesus is talking about. And who was the fourth, or, or what was the fourth office that we saw in Acts chapter 4? The Gentiles. And that particular reference made to the Gentiles was specifically talking about the people that will promote or that do promote immorality. So you had Herod representing the king. You had Pontius Pilate representing government officials. You had the children of Israel in that context representing the people that are advocating for war. And then you had the Gentiles who are the ones who are practicing, promoting, and preaching immorality. Now those four forces of evil have always been in operation. They've always, had, they've always been there. They would have different names all through the times. But we really know what they are. Because they are the four angels that are holding the winds at the four corners of the earth. And the wind in particular that they are holding is the wind of destruction. 
And you know that I've taken my time to explain to us that that is not the wind that you and I get to breathe. It is not the wind that blows over the earth. The wind that you and I breathe that brings us rain, that helps for there to be pollination, for crops to grow. That particular wind is a different wind. It's the one that Solomon was talking about in Ecclesiastes. He says there is a wind that comes from the north. It comes from the center of the earth and it has a particular path. It may seem like it's random, but it has a path that it follows to the south and then it comes back to where it started from. That is the natural wind that you and I experience. But there is a spiritual wind that is the wind of destruction that is just waiting to be released. Now, let me, let me just help you understand this. I told you that there are four forces on each side. So this battle is four on four. In soccer, we call that four aside. You know, people don't say that around here, maybe not. But it's like when you have a, a, a battle and you have four people on each side. Let's just make it that simple. It's like, it's like wrestling and you have four people on each side and they have to slap each other's hands to come back in. Tag team. Yeah. Four aside, tag team. Let's combine everything so we know what we're saying here. So we know the four people on that side. All right? Now let's talk about the four people on this side. The four people on this side are the four living creatures representing the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and the church. Okay? Because you remember that the four living creatures had four faces. And just like the seven candlesticks that are in the presence of God, they represent the seven, not the candlesticks, the seven lamps. Okay? So thanks to Katie, I can, I can break this thing down to you because when sometimes I use the word candlesticks and lampstands interchangeably, but apparently Katie has been making notes and she's like, okay, I'm confused. You talk about seven candlesticks, seven lamps, seven golden lampstands. What are, what are they? Are they the same thing? No, they're not. Every one of them is different. So for the benefit of future talks and teachings and past ones, I want to make the distinction. Just give me 30 seconds. I'll break it down to you. The seven candlesticks represent the churches. The seven churches and they are the ones that are set on the seven lamp stands. Alright? So the seven lamp stands are there for the benefit of the candlesticks. Alright? Which is important. Because if we don't know the significance of that, we will be sold all kinds of things. In fact, the reason why we have been sold all kinds of things is because we think that we're just candlesticks, but we don't recognize that we're candlesticks that are fixed within lampstands. Now, the beauty of this golden lampstand is this golden lampstand has one base, one stalk, and seven branches. And that is why if the church is not united in the Holy Spirit, it is going to burn with a flame that is a rogue flame. A strange fire right like the seven sons of Skiva or whatever they call them there are strange fires that was why Jesus specifically taught his disciples by example that the gifts of God on the inside of us for the benefit of the church can only and should mostly be activated by the laying on of hands that was why he says I am sending you out to baptize, to make disciples of men, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Why did he say that we have to make disciples of men? Simply because if we don't make disciples of men by the laying on of hands, some people will show up right out of the Amazon and claim to be believers, and we would not know their origin. 
Neither are we going to know the spirit with which they operate. And that was the reason why he says, look, I'm going to lay my hands on you and you do the same. So when it comes to things like the gifts of the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues and all whatnot, between myself and the Lord Jesus, there is a consistent chain of custody. There is no gap. The moment there is a gap, the enemy can come in. Because the Bible says that the serpent is waiting to come in if there is a breach in the fence. Right? And so, we are all lampstands. We may seem very unique. And, and in fact, we are. All the seven churches are very unique. They don't look the same. It's almost like there are seven different people. Right? But we are all connected to the same lampstand. Because we've not been taught that enough. And that is the reason why many of us have allowed ourselves to follow strange spirits because the more we are different from other people and disconnected from them, the more comfortable we feel in our own little denomination that, oh, we're not like those people. We don't believe in that stuff that they believe. <laughs> you see what I mean? And so we need to be connected. We need to remember that we're all rooted in the same stock. And that stock is the grace of God. Alrighty, the pillar and the ground of truth. And so now that is the seven candlesticks and the seven lampstands. But aside from the seven golden lampstands, or the lampstand with the seven candlesticks, there are other lampstands in the presence of God. There are two other lampstands. And each one of those two lampstands has just one candlestick. Right? And they represent the witnesses. One of them being Israel, one of them being the church. And I have explained that to us time and time again. And the author of the book of Revelations, who was telling us about the two witnesses, did us a big favor by letting us know that these two witnesses are the same lampstands, golden lampstands in the presence of God. He says, these are the two. And then, so that we're not getting it twisted, he then started to quote from Zechariah. He says, these also are the two olive trees. But he didn't have to tell them that he was quoting Zechariah because the people that he wrote that letter to firsthand were people who studied scriptures. So they knew what he was talking about. It was lack of dedication to the study of scripture that allowed for people to tell us that, oh, Moses and Elijah will come back in the last days. They will be the witnesses. And so I don't have to do anything. I just have to keep going to church, enjoying the music, get fat and go home. You understand what I mean? That's exactly what we thought for the longest. But the moment you recognize that you are one of those olive trees and that you are one of those golden lampstands, then you know what? You begin to wake up to your responsibility because you are in the presence of God. Now, one thing that is common to every single item that is mentioned in the presence of God is what? They carry an attribute of God. Everything that is in God's presence is a reflection of God. Because I've talked about the seven golden lampstands. Thank you, Bryson, for reminding me. I've talked about the golden lampstands, the candlesticks. But the Bible says that there are also seven lamps in the presence of God. So don't get it twisted. I wish I had a whiteboard here. So let me quickly run through it again. Because I'm going to make reference to these things so that you know what kind of battle we're fighting. What your place is. Who is on your side. What kind of help can you lean on. And what the expectation is of you. We are more important than the world has made us to realize. Because the world constantly wants to diminish us. They're not just happy with the fact that a majority of us have become a bunch of zombies, ignorant men who don't even know who they are in God. That is not enough for the world. The world essentially wants to turn us into machines that will be ruled by artificial intelligence. 
so that they can completely reduce us. And we know the reason why. Two reasons why. Satan needs an army. An army of zombies is not a very reliable army. You know why? Because they're made in the image and in the likeness of God. They have the capacity to receive the resurrection power. So if you're fighting with an army of zombies who could potentially receive the resurrection power, then they can kill you from behind. So before Satan gets in front of the line to lead his army, he wants to make sure that all of the people in his army have already been deleted from God's book of life without any hope of redemption. You know what I'm saying? And that is why the enemy is doing all kinds of things to our bodies today through the air that we breathe, the food that we eat. Now, let me tell you something. This is one of the most out there conspiracy theories. And I'm going to tell you because it is not as out there as you think. Every single person that I know who has believed this conspiracy theory, who has researched it, almost every one of them that I know has been labeled crazy. So I'm just saying that it's their theory. So you don't call me crazy. (laughs) People believe that Satan is looking to revive some of his army. Ah, I don't like the word revive. Let me tell you, he's looking to receive. That is more like it. Some of his army. Angelique, God bless you. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, I thought you were leaving. Oh yes. Um, so let me let me say this thing again. In the book of Isaiah, chapter thirteen, I want you to go and read it when you get home. In Isaiah chapter thirteen, God said something interesting. He says, "To effect my judgment in those days, I will once again allow giants." In fact, the original translation of the Septuagint says I will send giants into the world to effect my judgment. If you don't know who your father is, I'm telling you, you're not going to like him. Right? If you don't know who God is, you can't love him. The Bible says he that loves not does not know God, for God is love. You have to love him to know him. You have to know him to love him. You have to arrive at the knowing him and loving him party or junction at the same time. Otherwise, you will be lost. Because until we knew him, we questioned him. Remember how growing up we questioned why God was so mean and how he was such a genocide happy God who would always say to some group of people, oh, because I like you guys. I like your sacrifices, but I don't like those ones. You get up and kill them. And you know, even though you don't want to think about it or you don't even want to say it at the dining table before they say you're possessed, you thought it. Now, which kind of God is this? But when you get to know him, then you know that, wait a minute, the people that he was asking to be eliminated, he didn't say just kill them. He says kill them and kill their animals. It was because they have been polluted and they were no longer in his book of life And so they were redundant upon the earth before they pollute other people. He was talking about the clan of Goliath, the Nephilim, the giants that walked the earth, whose DNAs had been corrupted. And so because they had been corrupted, and he didn't make them so, they were the handiwork of the fallen ones. He says, you know what? If we kept these people here, as much as they don't seem to bother us, it's only a question of time. 
before they corrupt you. One day you will go hunting, you will kill one of their animals, and you will eat it, and there will be a transference of that DNA into you, because those DNAs are active DNAs. Now, let me, let me say this. You see, sometime in the, in the mid-2000s, no, in, in, I think it was between the year 2012 and 2016, God raised up a man. I will find his name and tell you. I studied his work for a little bit, but I don't remember his name now. In fact, you sent me one of his videos recently. Who, who, uh, say that again. Tom Horn. He was one person. He died about the age of 21. God took him to heaven. A scroll was shoved into his belly. He came back to life and he didn't know a thing about what he saw or what that scroll was. But he had an assurance in his heart by the Holy Spirit that when the time came, he will receive triggers that will bring forth the knowledge that he had received in heaven. And one of the things that he was warning the church about aggressively for about 10 years, he's probably still on that bandwagon till today. One of the things that we heard from him years ago that he was warning the church about was, he says the body of Christ needs to go and study mRNA and nanotechnology, but we, we didn't. Thank God some of us did, but most of us didn't. And the reason why he was warning us was because it was one of the signs of the end times, because when Jesus was asked that what will be the sign of your coming? He says, oh, uh, my coming will be like the days of Jonah. But in another place, he said to them, he says, in the days of my return, it will be like the days of Noah. He says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the day of the son of man. And how was it in the day of Noah? In the day of Noah, almost every human being on the earth had been polluted they were no longer human beings they were hybrids of different kinds some of them however were born seemingly human but were made corrupt along the way in genesis chapter 10 when the bible says that nimrod began to be a mighty man upon the earth it was a it was the ex, the original expression as it was written down by the fathers before it was translated, what version of the, of the scripture that the apostles read? Guess what it was written, what was written in there? The Bible says that Nimrod started beginning to become. And people thought it was a tautology. They were like started beginning to become. Let's just say he became. But what happened was Nimrod was a regular Joe and after a while he just started to grow taller and taller and taller and his appetite became so ferocious to the point where he started to devour just about anything he saw including human beings. And that was why the Bible says to people he was a mighty man but before the Lord he was a hunter. God just saw him as a bloodthirsty beast. And how did he know where to build the Tower of Babel? It was because see let me let me say four things because i want you to understand this very clearly before adam fell in his original makeup adam was not only seeing what was going on in the garden he was connected with what was going on in eden right the garden was not eden it was called the garden of eden because it was planted east of eden all right Eden was the place, was the outpost of heaven where God came from in the evenings to start his work. And that was where he went back to in the morning. Because the Bible says so the evening and the morning were the first day. So God was not going back to heaven every night. 
while he was creating the world, he had an outpost. The Elohim had an outpost that was called Eden. The word Eden is a word that many, for many years and many centuries, we have failed to truly grasp the meaning of until we came to the age of technology and virtual reality. And then we understand what Eden means. We've always thought that Eden meant delicate, bright, and visible. But in reality, what it means is Eden was a place that even though you could see it, it is very legible. At the same time, you almost could not hold it. And that was why they said delicate. It was almost as if you can't have a grasp of it. So basically, Eden was a hybrid between two worlds. It was tangible enough to be situated upon the earth, but it was still spiritual enough to be an extension of heaven. And that was where God came out of. And so Adam, when he was being made, he was made outside of Eden. But because he was made and he had the breath of God running on the inside of him, he knew what was in Eden even though he had never been. How do I know that? Whenever God came out in the evening to make whatever he was making for the day, he would come from Eden. Remember that when he was leaving the first day, where did he come out of? He came out of Eden and he was like, oh, I'm going to go plant myself a garden. And they were like, Father, where are you going? He said, I'm going east. So he planted a garden east of Eden. And the garden, now let me tell you the beauty about the garden. You see, the way you know that the garden is a hybrid world is because we only know of one principal material that connects the heaven to the earth. And that is water. Because the Bible says God separated the waters from the waters. The waters above he called heavens and the water below he called seas. And what you saw that connected Eden to the garden was what? Water. There was a river that was coming out of Eden. Let me tell you the picture that the Holy Spirit showed me. You see, Eden is a portal. You could see it, but you can't hold it, even though it exists. Because the moment you step into it, you're no longer on earth, you're in heaven. Eden is a portal. And so what happens is this, you've watched all these sci-fi movies, wherein they jump into a portal on this side, and by the time they come out on this side, they say that they're in another universe. Right? And so this is what happens. Eden is a portal. Heaven and God's throne, or God's throne is in heaven. The river that was coming through Eden was not coming from Eden. It was coming from the presence of God. Because later on, through the prophets and the apostles, we saw a description of that river. And it is the river that flows from the crystal sea that is around the presence of God. And it's called the source of life. So that throne of God in heaven, the water was flowing and it came through that portal that was Eden. And the Bible says from that portal, it became four river heads. God has always had it in mind that the principal operators on the earth will always be four. So each one of those four rivers represents the four entities that make things happen on earth. And so if anything is going to happen on earth, God does it in fours. He does it through the agency of the four. And that was the reason why Ezekiel saw the four living creatures. John saw the four living creatures. The angels who are holding the winds at the corners of the earth, they were not activated until the four living creatures spoke. And then when you see also the, what you might call them, the horsemen of the apocalypse, the horsemen of the apocalypse are also four. You understand what I mean? And so let's go back to that Eden for a moment. Adam was in Eden. and was in the garden, but he knew what was in Eden. But the moment he was cut off because of sin. See, 
when Adam was made, Adam was supposed to live his full thousand years at least and reign upon the earth. And if that was the end of his assignment, which would believe it is because we see it is the end of our assignment, he would have been taken up and another dispensation would have come because the Bible says, behold, God makes all things new. But he didn't complete his assignment simply because his body could no longer handle the assignment because the fruit that he ate changed his composition. His DNA was altered by the fruit that he ate. And how do we know that? Because it was not present with, within Adam a conscience that had a scale. You know, the Bible says he ate of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And since then, he always weighed things on the scale, good or evil. Is this good? Is this evil? And sometimes when he thinks it's good, it's actually bad. The Bible says there is a way that seems right to man, but the end of it is destruction. Simply because that was not the original plan of God for man. That was a virus that changed the composition of the man. And the man started to age. He started to get old. His body started to decay. He started to tell lies. He started to murder other people. He started to do all kinds of crazy things. Because of the fact that that was him malfunctioning. Right? So now let me explain this to you. I mean, the reason why I'm explaining all of that to you is I want you to have a basis for the reason why Satan is doing what he's doing to humanity today. Satan wants to have full command of the human army. But remember that Satan himself used to be an anointed cherub in the presence of God. So most of his abilities are spiritual. And the battle that he wants to lead us to go and fight is a spiritual battle because the Bible says the war is in the heavenlies. And so if you're going to get these goons, I'm not talking about you, but humanity, if you're going to get humanity as an army of pawns to fight for you in a spiritual war, you need to upgrade them. Because if you don't upgrade them, they are physical beings, they cannot fight a spiritual battle. And that was exactly what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to upgrade us to become new creation who can be walking the face of the earth while at the same time we're seated in heaven. Amen. You see what I mean? We're already seated in heaven. You see the part of us that is on earth, the part of you that is seated in Christ Jesus, the Bible says when Jesus comes, you will come with him because he's coming with thousands and thousands upon thousands of his saints. And you're like, wait a minute, you're coming for me with me? And he says, yeah, I can do that. Because the living, the new creation that you are is not on the earth. We can't risk that you being on the earth. You're too precious. So we have you in heaven, but you have this avatar that is walking the face of the earth. The reason why we're able to stand in that final battle is because we're hybrid men. We are spirit men, even though we have human bodies. And so Satan is trying to create a hybrid of some sort in human beings. And that was, he started that from before the time of Noah. Because in the time of Noah, God came and he did an assessment of the earth. And what was the testimony of, of, of Noah? The Bible used a word to describe Noah that Noah was perfect. That word perfect talks about the fact that his form was unaltered. His genes had not been altered. Because he came from the lineage of Enoch who walked with God. It is your responsibility and mine to protect our lineage so that our children are not altered by Satan. And one of the things that Satan wants to do in 2021 is to alter the children. 
they're making moves now to give children the confidence to go and do whatever with their bodies without the consent of their parents. It's the children. You see what I mean? Because a lot of us are already one. The devil doesn't want to walk with us. So he's going after the fresh blood. And that was what happened. He went after the children of the descendants of Seth, of the descendants of Cain. He went after everybody. But Enoch refused to allow his bloodline to be, to be, to be what? To be polluted. You know the meaning of Enoch? Enoch means devoted. The guy was devoted. He was like, ain't nobody touching my bloodline. And so when Noah came, Noah was unadulterated. And God was like, okay, we're going to take this one and his children and their wives, and we're going to create a new race of human beings, a continuity of Adam, because they've not been polluted. But every single one of the other ones, they're polluted. We're going to wipe them out. Jesus says, as it was in the day of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the Son of Man. So what we're experiencing in the day of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ is once again, the enemy is trying to change the composition of humanity so that human beings are completely deleted from the army sheet of heaven and they are fully enlisted in the army of Satan and one day they will upgrade, I mean, they will upgrade them, they will just wake up one day and they're no longer people. But I want to say this because I am more I mean, I never doubted what God showed me, but I am more confident now that I know that other people are seeing it. So at least at the end of the day, they won't call me crazy. Yeah? So, the Bible says, in the twinkle of an eye, we shall be changed. God is not a magician. God is not into transmogrification. He is into transformation. Now, let me say this. Transmogrification is to change a thing in an instant without a process. That is the word transmogrify. To transmogrify is to make something happen without time. So you trans, but no time. It's mogrify. No time, it just happens. But transformation takes a process. So people have wondered, myself inclusive, that God should make up his mind. What is he doing to us? Is he transforming us? Or is he preparing us to transmogrify us? And the question is, no, he's only transforming us. But the Bible says that within the twinkle of an eye, we will be changed. But that is not the whole truth. The whole truth is that we beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, we are being changed into that same image from a level of glory to a higher level of glory. And so God's been transforming us. The reason why it will seem like a sudden change is because when he is done in one moment, he will switch us on. And then we will open our eyes and Jesus will be standing there. And the Bible says when we see him, we will be like him. Yeah. We will be like him. Praise the Lord. When we see him, we will be like him. But we are already being changed. And that is the same strategy that the devil wants to use. A little jab here and another jab there. Until one day, they turn on their radio. And everybody just wakes up and they're so wired and their eyes changed and, and the hairs on their bodies begin to stand. You see what I mean? They begin to see things. They begin to know things. They begin to make sounds for, from animals. They be, some of them bark like dogs. Some of them howl like wolves. And it will happen seemingly in a moment. But in reality, the enemy has been changing human beings little by little. 
Like I told you, this conspiracy one is out there, very out there. But it's not a conspiracy. It is the truth of the word of God because it's exactly what God is doing to us. We are being changed from one level of glory to a higher level of glory. And so God is doing it by the ministry of his Holy Spirit. But Satan, he's doing is by witchcraft and sorcery. And if you look at the original word for witchcraft, it is the word pharmakia. You know, I didn't call anybody's name. It was the word pharmakia. And that is the way Satan is doing it. And so why is it important for you to know, for you and I to know these things? Why do we need to know that? You know, I started by telling you that there is a particular mission that was given to the beast that is coming from the abyss. And I told you that the, one of the tricks that the enemy pulls is he doesn't let you know who you are. And if you don't know who you are, you don't know who the other people are. And so the other people who are troubling us, they are the descendants of Ishmael. A lot of them look like us because we are the descendants of Isaac. But their hand is against us. That was what God says. He says, I will bless them. I will multiply them. In fact, in the last days, I will increase the number of them. I will send the giants to effect my judgment. But if he's been faithful at doing what's we are seeing on the side of the opposition, giving them the enough, giving them the munition to be able to elect government officials who are pushing the agenda of the Antichrist and the New World Order. If he has faithfully delivered on promise that their hand will be against us and we see now that they are against us, why should we not think that he is also going to be faithful to Isaac to make him a strong hand? No matter what it is that they're doing out there, the angels are doing more for us, but we need to recognize it. He wants you to know that no matter how perfectly they seem to be executing their sheet of music, the melody that your life is making before God is even better than that. But the devil doesn't want you to know. He wants you to focus on the mundane so that you don't see the work that God is doing. Remember that the church is not going to be built by me, nor you. Ooh, thank you, Jesus. Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So while we were ignorant of what was going on, Jesus was doing his thing. He was building his church. He's transforming us little by little until when everything is done and the final bulb is screwed into the socket. Then he stands right there in front of his edifice and he switches it on. And that is the rapture. When the rapture happens in that twinkle of an eye, we will recognize that, oh, wow, we're like him. And it will look like it's sudden, but it is not sudden. It's a gradual process. Now, the reason why I'm telling you that it's a gradual process is because there are reasons for you and I to begin to leverage or to access who we are already by heaven's standard as opposed to what we look like in the natural. Okay? So let me explain to you what I mean. When you're building a house, you don't wait until everything is built before you start to test if everything is working. You know, so you install that microwave, you switch it on, you make sure that it is working. You install that fridge, you switch it on, you make sure that it's getting water from the, from the mains. You do all of that. And that is where we are right now. Where we are right now is God expects each and every one of us to begin to access the realms of heaven. He expects us to begin to access the dimensions of heaven that we have already been equipped in. Not just so that we are exercised, but so that we are kept in full consciousness of who we are. You understand what I mean? In full consciousness. I watched a movie the other day. These people built a house. 
and they had the, they had a model home but because no one was living in it yet they did not secure the internet and some guys were able to hack into the internet of that house using the refrigerator to commit a crime and so if human beings have failed in that regard then you know that God doesn't fail in such a manner so God is not waiting until he commissions us before he secures us and that was why he said he sent a message to the four angels holding the winds at the corners of the earth. He was like, I know my children are still there, okay? I haven't redeemed them just yet. We're sending a crew to pick them up. He said, but until then, make sure that there is a seal on them and your software of destruction is not going to run until there's a confirmation that the seal is in place. He says, until the seal is in place, you cannot do anything. Now, let me bring those two things together. So that you can truly recognize and hopefully be amused for the times that we're in. The times that we're in is such that even though the drill is over. Whatever the enemy is doing now, the enemy is doing for real, for real. But rather than being intimidated at how further along they are in their plan, you need to start to receive insight into how further along God is with you in his plan. Because if you don't know it, you would think that the enemy is winning. Whereas, in fact, you have already won. You understand what I mean? You have already won. And so, one of the things that we need to start to exercise is this. Let me, let me give you some very practical things that I am beginning to exercise. That I, will, I would hope that you would exercise as well. Is You need to begin to recognize that the level of authority with which you are functioning now on heavenly scales is completely through the roof yes. Yes, sir. it is that power is already available occasionally just plug into it just to flex <laughs> I, I, it's like revving your engine ahead of the race just rev it and one of the ways by which you can rev your engine is do you have family members who are not saved wake up in the middle of the night and begin to call their names and begin to call their names because there were places that your voice couldn't reach before. Some of them are hidden in the backside of hell. And so when you're calling for them to come forth like Jesus called for Lazarus to come forth, they don't even hear you. But now that you're getting ready to be unveiled, what do you do? You sample your voice. See where your voice level is at. You see? Because if Jesus' voice is like thunder upon many waters, yours is not too far behind. Now begin to pray for some of those people that you prayed for before that were not saved. Begin to pray for them. Some of us who used to just pray for 20 minutes and then we'll be bored out of our minds. Now, attempt to lose yourself in the spirit for six hours. It will happen. Simply because all that limitation and all that weight of the flesh that used to keep you back is no longer as powerful over you as it used to be. Because God is waiting to unveil you and God is not going to be surprised on, on duly. He's not going to get to rapture and they click the rapture button and they're like, they're not coming, they're not responding. God is like, press it again. <laughs> no, it's not going to happen. You know, it's not going to... So for it not to happen, tests have been run as we speak to make sure that the machine that we are is ready to go. So I want to tell you something, folks. Like I said before, don't worry. Be happy. Simply because we have overcome. We are more than conquerors. And so here is the deal. I told you about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. The four concomitances of evil. The angels that are holding the four winds of destruction. 
But the other side, there is also the four living creatures. Every one of those four living creatures, their faces represent an attribute of God. Because I already established to us that every single thing that we see in the presence of God. Let me tell you something. You, you Go and search scriptures. Everything that you find in the immediate vicinity of God is literally an extension of God. The seven lamps, what are they? The seven spirits of God that we find in the Isaiah chapter 11 verse 2. Even though over time, many people have always seen only six. You understand what I mean? But there is a seventh spirit in that place. Let me help you find it and then we'll close. Uh, because um, I've, I've talked about it here before. But did I, did I show you all seven any, at any time? I, I've shown you all seven before. Oh, okay, well, it's there. Isaiah chapter 11 verse 2. You have the seven spirits of God. Right? And then you have the four living creatures. But this one I haven't told you before. I, I just promised that I would tell you, but I already told Katie. The four living creatures, you know, I told you that when Ezekiel saw them, he saw them in a particular order. You know, he saw the he saw the man, he saw the he saw the man, and he says to the right was the lion, and then the eagle, and then he saw the ox, which is the bull. And so you've you've got the eagle back to back with the ox, and then you've got the man back to back with the eagle. Right? You saw all of them. Now the lion, of course, we know who the lion is. The lion represents the lion of the tribe of Judah. And then you have the man representing us. And then you have the eagle representing the Holy Spirit. And then you have the bull representing the strength of the father. Right? And so you see all of those four attributes are present in the presence of God. Now look at the beauty of where we're at today. We are faced with the other four. But they can't take us out. Simply because the power that runs them came from this side. We can always pull the plug. You understand what I mean? And so the way God orchestrated it is so that he... Let me tell you something. This may sound very cheesy. But the way I'm beginning to look at it is almost as if God set everything up. Just so that he can have an excuse to give you a crown. You know when the angels and heaven fought the battle, they fought the real battle because it was their friends who turned against them, right? They were, it was their co-workers. It was the other angels that were on duty with them that turned against them. But when you look at us, we were here minding our business. And then the devil was cast down to earth, almost like to create some kind of opposition so that we can be called overcomers. And then the father's like, oh, my children, they've overcome. Wow, here is the crown. He wants to give us a crown because we're made in his image and in his likeness. And he wants us to sit next to him. There are 24 thrones next to the throne of God. And they're not going to be empty. In fact, they're no longer empty. When Isaiah saw the presence of God, he didn't see the 24. But when John saw, John was like, man, I see 24 elders. You see what I mean? I know there are two schools of thought. Some people believe that the 24 are angels. But there's no record of any angel ever having a crown. Right? The only people in scripture who have crowns are two groups of people. The Lord Jesus and the elders. And when the elders were praising God in Revelation chapter 5, what did they do? The Bible says they gave glory to God who saved them by the blood of the Lamb. So I think that's clear. That's not even a conspiracy. That's a revelation. You're welcome. So here is the deal. Everything that we're going through, we're going through so that the box can be checked that we have overcome. So why should any one of us sit here and be afraid? 
Why should anybody sitting here be made to do things they don't want to do because the children of the world are roaring? The devil is not a lion. He's only like the roaring lion. And so the next time the devil comes to roar at you, to intimidate you, say to your friends, he's using the filter. That's not his real face. He's a cherub. You know the Bible says the devil is a cherub. And essentially cherubs are the, like the little angels. The word cherub is from the word child. Right? And so the next time he comes at you like a running lion, I'll be like, ha, 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 what else you got? That is a filter. I know who you are. We are the ones with the real lion face. Because the lion of the tribe of Judah is with us. And so let me tell you something. There is nothing anybody wants to take from you that should bother you. Because in the first place, the Bible says there's nothing any man has that he has not received from above. If they can take it from you, that means they give it to you, then you don't want it. Let me say that again. Nobody can take from you what God has given to you. So if anybody can take anything from you, then that is, an, that is a way of you knowing that, oh, in the first place, they gave it to me. Which means, I don't want it. Because the Bible lets us know that there's only one person who reserves the right to give good gifts. The Bible says every good gift and every perfect gift comes from the Father of light with whom there is no variableness. So basically, every time he creates a good gift, there is no counterfeit. It's not like one of them Chanel bags that you buy and you already know. It ain't Chanel. Reminds me of when we were little. One of our friends was so desperate to wear designers. He went out to buy a pair of sneakers. And they ended up being Red Book instead of Reebok. But they were written in the same form. Yeah? And we used to see things like Abibas and Mikey instead of Nike. Uh, yeah, Abibas. Yeah. With, with a B. Yeah. I know. And so, but the Bible says that the, the kind of gift God gives, nobody can, the devil can create his own counterfeit, but you will know. You understand what I'm, unless you're desperate, because sometimes when we're desperate, yeah, and we just, we just, we just buy anything. And that's why we've bought all the lies the devil is selling. But we don't have to be desperate anymore because we are complete in Christ. So let nobody intimidate you. Let no situation frustrate you. The times that we're in will seem to get even more dire. The reason why this message is important is because of the fact that we don't want to be calling each other on the phone and saying, have you heard what's going on? And be, No, no. You should call somebody on the phone and say, you heard, right? Oh my God, Jesus is almost here. <laughs> you understand what I mean? You, none of what's going on today should make you panic. Let them take the world from you. That's exactly what you want because you don't need that world. It's a weight. If the rapture is about to happen, I don't need the world because the world's going to weigh me down. I don't want to miss the second batch because there are three batches to the rapture. The first batch already happened, which was when Jesus was raised from the dead. Because you know when Jesus was raised from the dead, the Bible says that saints who had died in who had died when he preached the gospel to them in hell and they acknowledged him as the lord and savior they were raised together with him and those ones have gone that is batch one. Second batch is coming i don't want to miss the second batch because there is a third batch of the rapture and in fact let me let me say this there is actually technically a fourth batch of the rapture but whether there is third fourth or fifth i want to go with the second one. Oh yeah Sister Gina, do you want to wait for the third one? No. 
if there's a, if the next one that comes is the one that I want to go with. Do you understand what I mean? And in order for me to go to the next one, I need to be ready. Because when he comes and you're not ready, he's not going to eternally write you off immediately. They'll give you a third chance. But the Bible tells us that those people who will go with the third rapture, the Bible says they will be saved, but it, is, it will be by their own blood because they would have to bleed out the life of sin, holding on to the testimony of Christ. That is how they're going to go. Let me tell you something that is amazing that happened just a couple of days ago. Our friend Dana, um, Dana Coverstone, he saw a vision. And when he rendered the vision, and I heard it, the vision is on YouTube. When he rendered the vision, he said he saw the angel of the Lord. After the group of people who made the second rapture took off, the angel of the Lord set foot. He says the church, he says the, he says the work of the bride is done. And then he said to the ones who remain to go from door to door preaching the gospel. I'm like, so some people will remain to preach the gospel. Well, oh dear. Well, good luck. I don't want to be part of y'all. At that point in time, it doesn't even matter how many souls you win. It doesn't matter. I don't want to be part of y'all. Because what they will experience, I'm not afraid of persecution, but it's the kind of persecution that is avoidable. Thank you for tuning in, and we pray this podcast has blessed you today. For more information about this church, check out www.communion.house. That's www.communion.house. Or follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Communion House. Hungry for more life-giving content? Head over to Communion House on YouTube for a full catalogue, live and on demand. We're honoured to have your audience. Wherever you're tuning in from, thank you and God bless you today.